Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foot. Welcome into Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. Broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios. In Upper Lafayette, Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction, simulcasts on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111-337-706-0111. We have been fairly skeptical here between Dawson and I on the national narrative about how dangerous the Lakers are as a playoff team in the Western Conference. The Lakers did survive last night, but that's what they did. It wasn't exactly a um it wasn't exactly a dominating performance at home against a decent team, but not a great team. Uh some dramatic moments. They won the game. But I still don't know that I'm as convinced about how dangerous the Lakers are. We'll see. I certainly will be pulling for them against the Grizzlies. But I'm still not convinced. I'm sure Dawson's not any more convinced by that performance last night than he was going in. Would, no, he was no. even more skeptical than me about how dangerous the Lakers are. Right. I feel um, fairly validated in my concerns. And, I mean, look, the, the funny thing about it is I still I still think they have a shot against Memphis because Memphis is unproven in this point of the season. And so can John Moran and those guys get over the villain mentality that they've created for themselves and win a playoff series? We're going to find out. But, like, I wouldn't rule the Lakers out. I still – even if they won the series, I, I still don't know if I'll believe. Now, maybe if they sweep them or do something really impressive. But, like, I just, I'm just not a believer in them. And then on the in the Eastern Conference, like, I don't even think anybody really cares who wins because no one thinks they have any chance. No, and I, I was the only thing I said about that is that Miami is the one that's dangerous. So I think Milwaukee's probably, they're not panicking, but they're probably not ecstatic that there's now a decent chance that they'll play the Heat. Because um, the Heat have one of the better coaches in the league, and you know a couple of proven guys. But if the Heat played like they did last night, it's not going to matter anyway. So, yeah, I don't know if it really. <laughs> I don't see any of those playing teams challenging the top two seeds. No, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, lots of college baseball and softball last night. The Cajun softball team lost two to one. Look, that you you've got to when you play good teams especially when they give you an opportunity, you got to be able to advance base runners. Like, Maddie's had a problem this year in bunt situations of not getting the bunt down. You got to get – they don't do the short game a lot for a softball team, but when you have to do it, it's going to be – it's very difficult to beat really good teams in the postseason play if you can't execute the short game when you need to and you can't play defense. Now, their defense was fine like that, but you got to be able – you're not – you know, I hear people all the time, well, when they face good pitching, they don't hit. Well, most people don't hit when you face good pitching. That's why it's good pitching. 
So you, you can't expect to go in and crush good pitching. But what you have to do is when you get – if you can hit a home run, then you, it's great. And, and when you get an opportunity to play softball, normally I'm saying screaming at the Astros to play baseball, when you get an opportunity to play softball, you got to be able to do it. And they didn't do it last night, and it cost them, and they lost 2-1. to one. They dropped from 10 to 11 in the RPI. None of that is devastating. If they win tonight, everything's fine. We'll see what happens. Baseball team, after about an inning or two last night, it's like, uh, I don't think this is going to be a pitcher's duel. And, it, it, you know, Braden Mouton is just not pitched. I mean, Moody has not pitched well. And I don't know what his role is going to be from here on out because he just hasn't pitched well. Cooper Rawls, however, almost always pitches well. Is it possible that Coach Daggs – and Coach Thibodeau are just overthinking it. I know what they're doing. But if you're going to pitch Cooper Rawls, say, five innings, last night it was 4.2, four and two-thirds innings. Essentially, he pitched five innings. Why have a deficit when he comes in? You know, you know what I'm saying? If you're going to pitch him five innings anyway, why not just start him for the first five innings? Yeah, I just, I don't, I think they just don't care. Like I think they just they don't see it the way that we see it about a guy and I I you know Cooper has started he's not started I think he's always said he wanted to be a starter but he hasn't started much here I just don't know if they care if he starts or not they think whatever they get I, I also I think they were planning to get more from Moody but right well again it's the his mentality was kind of what it was for Moody early that they want to use him twice in the week which is fine but again in terms of being his usage it doesn't matter whether you throw 5 innings as a starter or 5 innings as a reliever he's still throwing 5 innings or whatever right around 5 innings i i just wonder if they're just overthinking that a little too much but anyway uh Cooper Rawls pitches pitched very well he gave up a home run opposite field on an 0-2 pitch and uh, and if he doesn't do that to a guy who had like one home run or zero home runs on the season. So if he doesn't do that, he would have pitched fabulous again. And he still pitched very well. In other words, he stabilized the game um, when it was kind of gonna looking like going to be a total slugfest. So good victory for the Cajuns there. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Good. I know you want to be on your hammock and everything, but – you, you got to be a little bit off your hammock. What is Ryan Presley doing? Is he going to do this all year? What get hit? No, I don't think so. I mean, he, I mean, I mean, when they took the lead in the ninth inning, I said, "Well, it's over. It should be." Did but they didn't take the lead. They didn't take the lead. They tied it. I, tied I, it. Yeah. I, you know, again, he, he's he's had a couple rocky outings. He hasn't been totally sharp. He fell on the mound the other night. I don't know what that was, but Sunday. But, uh, no, I mean, look, the bullpen probably had the best season of any bullpen in the history of Major League Baseball last year, and they were not going to follow up on that. So I expected some cracks in the bullpen. They just got to get their act together for, you know, September and October. So you're not worried at all? Oh, no, I'm not worried about the team. Now, do I like getting beat on a walk-off homer by a guy I'd never heard of before? No, I'd rather get beat by somebody I've heard of before if I'm going to get beat. But, 
But no, I'm not worried. I, I still think this is the best roster on paper in the history of the franchise, and I think they'll come around. Yeah. Hey, now, now Dawson, do you see what we've been putting up with for a long time? So, so you don't believe in the Piper either, I guess. No, the Piper doesn't exist. Oh, well, that's just that, silly. That, of course, the Piper exists. Kevin that for years, Dawson. The Piper, no, but the he p- goes off on a rampage. If you score fifteen, you're not going to score the next game. Well, of course you won't score the next game. I mean, that's not the Piper. Well, of that's course the it's the Piper. What do you think it is? Look, if <laughs> if not the, the Piper, Piper didn't exist, then Hall of Fame hitters would hit six fifty. That's not true. Yes. No, yes. You you don't hit 650 because the Piper gets you out. <laughs> <laughs> Dawson, believe me, we've been hearing this for a long time. But 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 I tried to tell him the exact same it's, thing. It's, if you score 12 and you score 11, the next day you're probably not going to score. But it's not because the Piper's around. It's because, it's because the chances were low for you to score 12 the first time. It just happened. No. It's because when you do... It's because it, it it's what gets you back to normal reality. No, it's, it's not, not. reality to hit four fifty or five hundred as a team in a right. game. And so you're you're gonna dip down below to get more back to what you really are, which no, is you're the gonna, piper. You're gonna dip down below just because that's the more likely situation. It has nothing to do with what you did the day before. No, absolutely it has to do. Yes. No, it no. Does. absolutely it does. <laughs> hey Dawson, you will not and one thing, another thing, you would not change his mind. The Piper is real. Well, I'm the Piper's right, been getting people later. out for years. Absolutely. All right, thanks, Troy. Now, today the Astros play early. The only thing I don't like it is these getaway day lineups. I mean, El Pedro Grande's not in the lineup today. So they're going with the donkiest lineup they can come up with. And I'd like to win a series like... Again, am I worried long-term? No, but still, I'd rather win a series than not win a series. They'll win the game today. Um, They're playing, you know, their donkey lineup today. So we'll see what happens. Anything can happen in one game, but man. 11.35 start time, too. That's a bit interesting. How about the Pirates are 7-4? But um, With donkeys. Yeah, I mean, that's okay. I mean, they got they, nothing but donkeys. They got a 55-year-old AARP member throwing today, so I think the Astros will win the game. I, I, it, I, I mean, I'd like to win a series every once in a while. But uh, but look, I said at the beginning, just avoid sweeps, and they have already avoided a sweep in this series by winning the first game. Um, you know, Keller was actually a, had been pitching really well lately. And so it's not awful that they only scored two runs on him, but uh, Christian Javier didn't pitch. He pitched okay. He didn't pitch great. And this G-Man Choi thing, like, enough with giving up homers to G-Man Choi. Just just silliness. Our uh, LSU, again, they played a bad team, you know, Tech can hit. It, it was pretty obvious last night. Louisiana Tech can hit. Their bullpen has just been awful this year, and so and it was awful again last night. It, I think you know that's the thing that, and it's rough. Even if you can really hit, I mean, Tech hit some balls a long way and very hard last night. A lot of them, especially early when Moody was pitching, but. If it doesn't, I mean, it matters how good you are offensively. But if you can't, if your bullpen is not good, I mean, 
it, it's just it's just a long season, whether it's the collegiate level or the um, in the major leagues, and their their bullpen for whatever reason is not good, and so it's um it's interesting. I heard some of the conversation with Raymond and Jay, and you know it is true that the Cages have had a favorable Sunbelt schedule early on. Um, and if you look at the the teams that they have left and the place that they they currently stand in the standings, it's not even a, that tough of a schedule moving forward. The problem is I don't really believe that Texas State is the eighth best team in this league. Uh, I don't even believe that Southern Miss is the fourth best team in this league. Uh, we'll see on Troy and James Madison. You know, I, I don't kind of up in the air there. So, you know, if Texas State is really about the eighth best team in this league, which it's hard for me to believe as good as they've been the they also, last two years. They also beat Texas last night. Um, then there's, the Cajun schedule is not still not brutal down the stretch. But if Texas State is one of the best three or four teams in the league, which I fully expected or thought that going into the season, then with them and Southern Miss and Coastal, it's pretty tough down the stretch. Pretty tough down the stretch for the Cajuns. So they got a lot of work to do. But they're also playing better than they have all year long, and they're about to get the barge back. So we'll take a timeout and shift gears to LSU baseball with Cokie Riley next. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Time to shift gears. Talk a little LSU's baseball with our good friend, Cokie Riley. How are you, sir? Doing great. How's it going? Oh, it's going okay. You know, the um, my Astros got beat by a guy on a walk-off I never heard of before. And, um, you know, your Red Sox lost again to the Rays. So I guess our teams could be doing a little better. Yeah, it's... Uh not going great right now. I mean, the Red Sox just look like a very tenuous team, Italy, So, Nick Pavetta, though, he had an incredible performance against the Astros last year. He's really turned into a pretty good pitcher. I think he's one of the more underrated pitchers in, in, in baseball. He had a really poor second half of last season, though. And I know, I think I kind of remember that start uh, last year against the Astros, but um, he's off to a better start this year, though. Yeah. All right, so do you kind of feel like LSU got a break? I mean, when you're as good as LSU is, you obviously you can win any game that you play. But I kind of feel like they got a little bit of a break with that rain out because South Carolina, man, they. I think you were right. Uh, they are they they proved to be really good. Yeah, they are a really good team. Uh, do I think they got a break with the um, weather? Sort of. I, I like a total break. It's that obvious um, because once you go to the third game of the series, you never really know what exactly both teams are. The last like pitching wise, 
Um, and given the Garrett Edwards injury and given how they in the second game, uh, I think it was nice to the, end the series on a more positive note. Uh, maybe not playing this, the last game could hurt them when it comes to you know, turning standings and sort of stuff. But um, but I, but in the though, uh, you know, it's, it's like a little bit of the extra rest or like regroup. You know, keep the better feelings into the new week. All right, Koki, for some reason we're, we're having trouble hearing you, so we're gonna, I'm gonna hang, let's hang up and we're going to call you right back and try to get a better connection. All right. Um, I mean, it doesn't happen often, but it happens every once in a while where the connection isn't very good, so we'll try to, to, to make that a little better. Um, LSU did win last night over Tulane. Again, they trailed early, but Tulane, like I was saying, Louisiana Tech, they just don't have the kind of bullpen uh, that it's going to take to to upset a team like LSU, and they really got, um, you know, eventually they got hammered, which is what was expected from the beginning in, in a midweek game for um, for LSU. And uh, they will now um, play Kentucky, who got rained out. Kentucky was supposed to play Louisville last night, and they got rained out. And so both teams are off today, and they will begin the the series tomorrow. Um, All right, so I think we're good again. Hello, sir. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, no, that's okay. All right. Um, Might be on my end. All right, all right. So, I was shocked, not that they were high, but I looked at RPI for baseball yesterday, and the number one RPI team in the country is after playing Arkansas and after playing Tennessee and after playing South Carolina, now you're playing Kentucky. It just happens to be the number one RPI team in the country. Yeah, um, it is surprising because if you look at their schedule, they haven't really played anyone groundbreaking this year. I, I'd say their best wins are probably Alabama for two and a Missouri sweep because they're non-conference. They really haven't played any Giants. Um, they, they've just played a lot of teams that happen to be fairly high in the RPI, but no one who you look at on paper or paper and you're like, you know, that team is going to contend for the College World Series. Like, I think LSU's had a tougher schedule this year, not just in conference, but maybe in the non-conference as well. When you just sort of look at, well, at least LSU played a team like Kansas State or in a team like Texas. I mean, um, Kentucky has not. So it, it is surprising that they're number one in the RPI, especially after they lost two against Georgia. Um, and Kentucky's schedule is not going to get any easier from here on out. So we're really going to figure out what they're made of, not just this weekend, but um, in the weeks to come. You know, the games in Baton Rouge, Kentucky's 18 and 1 at home, and they're not the only you know, power five team in baseball and somebody that plays a lot of home games and wins a lot of home games. So it's not, that part is not that unusual, but you're right. It just, I was, it's like normally our perception is you have, you must have a lot of really good wins with five losses and, uh, you know, an RPI like that. But I guess the moral of that story is you, as long as you don't play people with like 220 RPIs and it, 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 it helps you. But what about the team itself? Uh, could be worrisome for LSU, what Kentucky does. Um, 
they're a pretty solid hitting team. I mean, Hunter Gilliam is 379 average this season. They don't hit a ton of home runs. They're a little bit. It's a little bit of the opposite when it um, of South Carolina in that way. Um, again, not a, again not a huge home run team. With team leader is Gilliam again. He only has six home runs though. Um, Emilian Petrie, uh, Jason Felker. They, they've got some solid players um, in that order, I'd say. Um, in the rotation, uh, it is kind of weird looking at their rotation because like none of their starters this past week against Georgia, and again, Georgia's no world beater, um, none of them went past the third inning, which is kind of odd. <laughs> uh, but it, when, you put, when you look at the numbers, though, it's not that bad, though. I mean, Zach Lee, 3.4 ERA in eight starts. Um, just as an example for you, their bullpen's pretty solid. Uh, they've got some. They've got some guys who have had who have some really good numbers. Ryan Hagenow, twelve appearances, zero ERA, zero point six eight WHIP. So um, I, I'd like to give you like you know my full stamp of approval of confidence as like this team is really great. At this this team's really great at that. But like, but part of the problem is they just haven't played that many teams that are that great. But at the same time, they're also number one in RPI. So. Um, yeah, it's uh, they're in a weird they're a weird team in kind of a strange spot right now. I mean, a lot of people didn't expect them to be this good to start the year, um, but I think we're going to find figure out a lot about this team uh, when they come to Baton Rouge this week. All right, so LSU pitching, we've had little bouts, whether it's the bullpen or a starter who struggles to give innings here and there. Each weekend, there's there's just been a little bit of a eh, I don't know about that part of it. Uh, th- are you are you more worried than you were a week ago, or do you just say South Carolina is a great offensive team? Um, I think you should be a little bit more worried. And I think most of the reason why is, for, is on the injury front, right? Because I mean, Chase Shores is still out for the moment. Um, we're still not quite sure on his status. Uh, same goes with Garrett Edwards. We're not we're not sure on his status. I, I mean, I I guess Jay Johnson's a little bit more optimistic on him just because. Injury came on a changeup, and usually changeups don't result in major injuries, at least according to him. So, um, you know, usually LSU's a little bit rosy, rosier when it comes to sort of their injury reports than what the reality is. So, I, I think those that's something to definitely monitor. I think those injuries, to be honest, are more important to whatever result, um, whatever result came from uh, this week, this past weekend series against South Carolina. It's one series, you know, um, so like that's not going to make or break your season. Injuries like the ones that happened to Edwards and the one that's going on with Shores right now, that kind of that can at least. Um, but I, but I guess on the flip side though, like Gavin Gidry stepping up in that game too and pitching as well as he did, that's huge for this team moving forward. They really needed that. So um, yeah, I, I'd say that. Uh, I, I would say overall. You it, you should definitely be a little bit more concerned, mostly because of the injuries. But you know, it, it, I don't know if it's the death knell of their season quite quite there. I mean, um, I, I I mean I can run a little bit about how they're on the breaking point when it comes to these injuries because I do believe that though because like if they get one more key guy hurt, then they're in a lot of trouble because now you're asking guys who. Um, you're not expecting a whole ton from to, to do a whole ton at that point. So um, they need to stay healthy for out the rest of the season. That should be goal number one when it comes to the pitching staff. All right, so we, we know there's a, still a long way to go. I get that. But right now, uh, 
where they are in their pitching, uh, you know, I was going to start with the SEC tournament. I don't know how that important. Over the years, it seems like that's more important to LSU than a lot of the other powerhouses in the league. But regionals, super regionals, College World Series, which is obviously the goal, are they set up right now, if the, if the pitching is what it is right now, to be successful in those three levels? Ooh, that's a, that's a tough question because – I think a lot of that honestly comes down to what I was just talking about with the injuries, right? Um, if they got one of those two guys back by then, Shores or Edwards or heck both, then I think, yes, I think, I think they can do it, especially if Griffin Herring takes a step forward, maybe even enters the rotation and Thatcher Hurd throws some more strikes. And, you know, like all you need is one or two other good things to go your way if you're relatively healthy in that pitching staff. Or even heck, even a guy like Javon Coleman starting to throw and actually giving them something out of the bullpen. Um, it, it you know all you need is one or two things to go right, and you're 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 set. You're good. You're um, you're definitely going to be uh, tough to deal with. I think they're going to add the regional anyway. I have trouble seeing them losing twice at home because I would be again I'd be surprised if they didn't host the regional. Um, the, you know, losing twice at home with that offense and against some of the opponents they play, I would be really shocked if they didn't get out of the regional. Uh, but the Super Regional would be a little bit trickier. And uh, if they, you know, if they had those injuries and all those guys don't come back and they're kind of stuck playing, you know, best two out of three against a pretty good team. And yes, they're at home, but the pitching is a little bit shaky and, you know, Ty Floyd has one bad start, and all of a sudden you're done. Like that, that could happen. Um, I won't. I wouldn't say it's likely at this point, but uh, you know, college baseball is tough. Baseball is weird. So as we saw last year with Ole Miss. Um, so yeah, I think getting to the College World Series, I think is is still a probability for this team. Uh, it, it probably a high probability, but in terms of winning the whole the whole thing, um, just getting to the third level of your question here. Uh, that's that's tough because um, if they are not again, if they're not healthy, I, I think their odds are are I don't say slim, but definitely below fifty percent. And I thought they were probably below fifty percent heading into this week anyway. That's before Gary Edwards got hurt. So um, so like if you had asked me then and, and now, like would you take LSU or the field to win the whole thing? I would take the field right now. Um, even though if there was, even if you said, you know, pick one team ahead of them in terms of odds, I would have trouble finding that team. So that's sort of the position, position I'm still, I still am at right now um, until at least I hear uh, the verdict on Edwards and Shores in terms of their uh, health statuses. All righty, sir. Well, we appreciate your time as always. Thank you very much. Have a good weekend. Thanks so much. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. We won't have very much time for the game for take phone calls on the hotline in the second hour. So if you would like to get in, 
Now, this segment and the next, uh, the rest of this hour is the time to call in if you have anything to discuss, 706-0111, Man, there is, uh, you know, it's it's hard to, to know all the reasons for it. Uh, I certainly haven't peeled back enough layers to, to figure out how many of the pitchers getting lit, pitching the World Baseball Classic and didn't. But, man, there are there's some unbelievable offense going on right now or in the first couple of weeks in, in the major leagues. Like, Ryan Mountcastle last night drove in nine. The, the day before, Max Muncy drove in seven. You've got, you know, you know, loose areas hitting for the cycle is not, I mean, it's a great thing, and it's amazing that that no Marlin player, like the Marlins are not an old franchise, but they've still been around for 30 years, uh, almost 30 years, 20-something years. Well, about 30, I guess. Um, 25 at least, and, and, and it hadn't happened. That's not so... Surprising, but like yesterday, the 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 Mariners and the Cubs. I mean, the the Cubs were down. Well, I don't. I'd have to go back to like like five nothing or something like that early, and and, and the game was eight seven in like the third inning. <laughs> he scored all these, and the, the the Mariners couldn't get him out. Um, Dansby Swanson. He's already got like five three hit games this season for the Cubs. They're crushing the ball. I mean, there's a lot of teams scoring a lot. The, the, the Blue Jays, I mean, they've been playing high-scoring games, scoring a lot, giving up a lot. Uh, they, the little MVPs have played a couple really high-scoring games where they score a lot and give up a lot. I, I don't know. You know, a lot of pitchers are not really ready. I just wonder if somehow – the one thing about the World Baseball Classics, whether you're in it or not, it probably messes up everyone's kind of whole spring routine a little bit. So I don't, I don't know if that's what it is. You know, I, I didn't find out until after the season started that the Blue Jays. I mean, I just don't understand what goes into teams' minds. Like, you have to be able to pitch. They. They made the decision to move their fences in because they have this good offensive team. Well, no. If you're a good offensive team, you want to move it back so you can pitch to go with that good offensive team. I, I just it, – it, it is a little alarming, like all the runs being scored right now. I, I think it's going to be a short-term thing. Um, maybe part of it is that the pitchers are not able to be as effective because they're being rushed because they're so worried about this time clock thing. That could be it. Uh, part of it could be you got more base hits now because of the shift, which theoretically is what people wanted. Um, not, you know, get more singles and more base runners and it extends innings more. And then people you never heard of hit three run home runs to win the game. 
uh, it's something's going on because the run score right now it's 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 been pretty alarming early on. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing okay. How are you? Well, your boy uh, crushed me last night at Mount Castle. Well, you know, I think the Orioles are pretty good. And the A's are not pretty good right now, so I guess that's going to yeah, happen. Yeah, I wish here. my boy Henderson would start doing something. He's been terrible so far. Well, you just never know about rookies. And uh, I'm starting to get a little concerned about old Miles Mickelin. Man, he's been bad every start so far. It's still early, but yeah, there there's some um, you know there's been some good pitching performances here and there, but it just seems like there's a lot of runs being scored right now. There, but I saw a thing yesterday, and the average runs per game it is up a, a little bit, but it's not like up dramatically. But the last couple days have been more out of hand. It seems like just crazy. And what it's been for the whole season, but. uh and then uh, stolen bases are up some, which we figured that would be up, which is actually, I think, a good thing. And uh, have you noticed the way they changed the the, uh, the replay challenges? What do you mean? Now, if you're going to replay a play, you have to tell them within 15 seconds whether you're going to replay. And if you don't tell them within 15 seconds, you can't challenge. And it's made it a lot more difficult to challenge because a lot of times, if it's kind of close, you don't really have time to sit there and dissect the replay. you got to make a pretty quick decision whether you want to use that challenge. So I've noticed there's less challenges being made now. Well, I... In theory, I kind of like that because I've always had the theory that if it's not obvious, we shouldn't be challenging anyway. Right. No, I kind of agree with you because a lot of times, uh, you know, you end up they challenging these ones and they're trying to look at it like, you know, with a magnifying glass down to the tenth of an inch to see if they can see some separation or something. I mean, when it's that close to me, you should just stick with the call. But no, so it might not be a bad thing. But on sometimes on a really important one, I think it, uh, I think it could, uh, you know, maybe be a little bit quick. Because sometimes that quick, it's hard to even get. You know, sometimes you got to look at a replay from a second angle to really, you know, one angle can be totally deceptive compared to another angle. Correct. So, but I know I saw, it's extra early, but how worried are you about the Cubs? Uh, I'm not too worried about them right now. I mean, I don't, I don't really think their pitching is that good. And, I mean, their lineup is, is okay, but I saw they got some young guy, and I saw you have him. I, I wasn't really familiar with him, but I looked him up, and he looked pretty good last year. He looks like he could be a pretty solid player. I can't think of his name. They got him batting lead off. Yeah, Nico Horner. Yeah. How'd you know about him? Oh, he, he was pretty good last year. Well, that's what I'm saying. When I looked him up, he was, but I never really heard anything about him. I guess because he was on the Cubs, he didn't get a lot of publicity. I should hate him because it, I should year. hate him because he went to Stanford. But 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 yeah, he uh, he's a pretty good player. 
Yeah, and he looks like he likes to steal too. Yeah. So he might be that might be a good pick that you made there. But no, it's 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 been uh I, I like it though. It's pretty much working with the rule changes in my opinion. Well, I I still like a little more pitching, but I I think the whole point of this is they wanted more offense and I I think it's it's kind of happening. We'll, we'll we'll see how it goes. It's still just a couple weeks. So. Yeah, well, some of them don't really like uh, – you saw what happened to Alcantara the other day. The Marlin guy, man, he just he didn't just pitch bad. I mean, he, he literally got annihilated. No. He got charged like nine runs in an inning or something. No, I, mean, I agree. He got totally killed. And and he's good. That's what I'm saying. It's been crazy. Yeah, but just hope my raise pitches keep doing good. Well, you're doing <laughs> you're doing you're, you're you're doing good. Uh, if you if you got the raise right, and look, the raise are always good, but and their offense is going to calm down too. I mean, they're not. They, you know, they were a putrid offensive team last year. They're not going to become the 27 Yankees overnight, long term, but. If they do, I mean, look, they they're they they're already they always could pitch and play defense. So, um, you think Chris Sale can uh, stop them tonight? Well, I mean, I mean, it's possible. He's been kind of erratic too. Yeah, and uh, I want your boy to keep messing up Presley. We got to make Montero the closer. Well, I don't think that's going to happen. But <laughs> uh, all righty, thanks for the call. All right, we'll we'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For Sports Talk Love, that is... I'm ready for love. Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Got time for call on the game hotline. If you would like to, 706-0111, We were just talking or referred to a little while ago about the Rays. The Rays do play the Red Sox tonight. 540 Central start. Um, he mentioned Chris Sale. The Rays are pitching Taj Bradley, which is like I think their number one pitching prospect from – their minor league system coming up to make his major league debut. They put Zach Eflin on the IL, and and so they kind of open up a spot there. And they're still waiting for for their really their A's Glass now to be healthy. So, um, and that's probably not going to be till next month, sometime towards the end of May, probably. But so I mean. Obviously, the Rays are very due to lose, and they're going to be pitching a guy in their major league debut. Now, with all that said, 
some teams and the Astros have had an issue with this over the years. If you face someone you've never faced before, sometimes, you know, they can get the best of you the first time. Um, that's happened a lot. I was a little worried about that on Monday, actually, because the, the guy who pitched for, who started for the Pirates, a young guy who the Astros had never faced before, and he was extra wild. And so they were able to take advantage of his wildness. Uh, he was behind. He was all over the place. But if he had better con- command, then it's possible they could have had more trouble with him. So you never know how that's going to play out. And by the way, the Brewers tonight, just looking at the schedule real quick to see who um, was pitching. The Brewers tonight are, face- are, are starting a guy named Jansen Junk. Now, is he going to throw? First of all, that's a I love alliteration, so that's kind of a cool name. But you can't really throw high velocity if your last name is Junk, can you? I mean, that that, that, that doesn't seem to to work out very well. And that's another team off to a hot start, the Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah, that's a team, too, that I I still don't really know how to feel about. And I don't know if I'll know how to feel about them maybe the whole way. And and the NL Central, I kind of feel that way about most of the NL Central. Like, I really don't know whether to buy into St. Louis. And I, I, I ultimately picked St. Louis to win the division, but, like, you know, they have – there's a couple of spots. Like, obviously, they've got maybe the best corner infielders in baseball, but I just don't know whether to trust them. I don't know whether to trust the rotation. I mean, they're asking a lot out of, you know, Wainwright, who's so – I just don't really know about the NL Central in general. Well, they've the always been pretty good, and sometimes right. they're really good. Uh, the thing about the Brewers is the Brewers and the Rays are having very similar seasons. You know, they're very similar in that – you going in, you're thinking, well, they, they normally pitch very well, um, but can they hit? And they're both crushing the ball right now. I mean, the Brewers are all, the Rays are off to a great offensive start for by for their stand by anybody's standards, but the Brewers normally don't hit, and they've been crushing the ball. And so, if they can hit, they're they're gonna pitch. They always pitch. They just normally can't score runs. Yeah, and if. You know, and that's what I did mention too. If Yelich can kind of get back to it, but he still doesn't look like the guy he was. I just don't know if we're ever going to see that again. He he and Bellinger both kind of remind me of each other. Yes, just guys who had great. Now Yelich was had a longer run than Bellinger did at the top, but just strange how much those guys have fallen off. And I know injuries have played a big factor in it, but you know, both of them starting the year hitting right around two hundred, like kind of what we've seen from those guys the last few years. You know, again, I, I I was worried. It's part of why I was worried about Icky, Kyle Tucker, because his swing is not exactly, but it, it's in that same mold of kind of that new age swing. But he seems to be, man, man, it's the the, the sad part for the Astros is El Pedro Grande and Icky, uh, Alvarez and Tucker, like they're both off to tremendous starts and they haven't taken advantage. They're not going to keep hitting like this. Like, they're going to go through slumps like everyone does. So, hopefully somebody's there ready to to pick it up. Maybe Abreu can start driving the ball. I don't know if Abreu even has an extra base hit yet. He, you know, he had that 10-game hitting streak, but it's all been mostly singles. So, somebody's going to have to start driving the ball. And Pena, they've been hitting him in the sixth hole when he was a leadoff hitter. You know, he hit in the bottom of the lineup last year, and then he wasn't getting on base early, so they moved to the sixth hole. And, he, you know, he's done okay, but um, somebody's going to have to 
yeah. to drive in runs. Abreu has 13 singles, one double. The other concerning number for Abreu is he's got three walks and 15 strikeouts. He's just not getting on base, and he's kind of sounds like a lot of Yuli Gurriel's seasons where you hit a bunch of singles and you drive the ball occasionally, but you don't walk very much. And I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I still – I guess when you get old, there's always some concern that he could be done. He, his power numbers did drop off last year, but he hit over 300. So, and and I I, I think I'm not worried yet because I think he's a veteran. He's going to figure it out. He's just off to a slow start, but I guess that is something to keep in the back of your mind. That's it for one hour. Another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game, broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcasts on Stadium 32.3 and 133. On LUS Fiber, we have with us our old friend, the Guru. How are you, sir? Hey, what's up, Kevin? I'm doing good. Just ready to talk some NFL draft. That's that time of year. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Before we get to the NFL draft, though, I'm sure you, like a lot of other people, follow the the Pels are just totally exasperated with the situation. They do play tonight, um, 8:30 ESPN. Do you are you are you in that group that is just ready, hope they lose and ready for the season to end because of the roller coaster ride of emotions it's been, or or what do you how do you see that game? Yeah, I don't see it ending too well for the Pels. I think people are sleeping on the Thunder. You know, the Thunder have a lot of young talent, and they're just they're a team that I feel like kind of like the way the Pels were last year, just kind of going in with. No real expectations, just kind of playing. They'll be able to play free where at the Pels. I don't see them coming out strong. I know they're at home, but there's just not a whole lot of buzz around them. And then with the Zion stuff yesterday, I just I just kind of see them coming out flat. I hate to be negative toward the Pels. I've been an advocate of them all season. I was saying they had the chance to be a top-four seed in the West, but with the way things have unfolded, I just I don't see it ending well tonight. So what were your impressions of of Zion yesterday? Man, it just seemed like a guy that just oof, just didn't didn't seem very clear headed, unfortunately. It just seemed very uh just kinda just not like I mean he really contradicted himself. He said he like really wants to hoop, but then he was saying, Well, I can't hoop until I feel like Zion. It's like sometimes you just gotta push through the pain, whether it's physical or mental. And hopefully he can learn to do that moving forward because it's very rare that an athlete's truly hundred percent. That's the the grind of the season is that you gotta be able to push through that stuff. So hopefully he can start doing that moving forward. Okay, so one more thing. Like at what point is it like the point of no return to where you say, well, we just can't do this anymore? Like, is that a year from now? Like, if we're in this situation a year from now, is that like past the breaking point where you just got to cut bait somehow? I'd say yes. Because I feel like he'd still have trade value due to his upside. So, I mean, shoot, they might shop him around this offseason because he's, 
teams is probably will still give the Pels a big haul. I, I don't think they'll do it, though, because he's still the face of the franchise and brings in a lot of, you know, just has a lot of hype around him, a lot of jersey sales and all that. So I doubt they'll do it. But to me, if they get a really good offer for him, I'd, I'd just assume move on because it's now two years of the same song and dance. So to me, if, if a team's willing to give up the world for him, I wouldn't be afraid to deal him. All right. Uh, let's start before we get to the Saints. Um, let's start at the top. Uh, or do you buy that the Arnolds are going for CJ, CJ Stroud? Or are you are you thinking more of the recent thought process that I keep hearing more that it's Bryce Young? Yeah, I'm thinking that it's gonna that the T shift in the Bryce Young means something. It usually does, especially at the top like that. So I'm I'm thinking it's gonna be Young. Because, to me, he's the, the most complete quarterback prospect in the class, especially as a passer. Stroud can throw, too, but he's a little more inconsistent. He might have a little bigger arm, but with Young, he's definitely the most accurate passer in the draft, somebody that should be able to execute an NFL offense from day one. The only concern, really, with him is his size, but I don't think that'll cause him to slip. You know, I mean, Kyler Murray was – number one pick, and he's undersized. So I don't think the size will mess with Bryce Young because he can make all the throws. And in today's NFL, if he can find a quarterback like that, and he's somewhat athletic, to me, you gotta got to go with him. Stroud, though, a solid number two, I would think he'd go number two to the Texans, assuming Young goes number one. Now, again, you got to take everything you hear right now with a grain of salt. But supposedly – you know, some people are suggesting that it's not a lock that the Texans would pick a quarterback, but how can, unless you just plan on tanking to get the number one pick and you're pretty sure you're going to do that, like, how could you not pick a quarterback here? Yeah, to me, you got to take one and then move forward from that. They've been tanking now, I think, like the past three years, ever since the Deshaun Watson saga. So to me, you have to take one and, and hope for the best, try to build around them. And, uh, yeah, I think you don't have much of a choice here because with the new regime, if you want to get your fan base fired up, you can't put your fans through another year of this. Oh, we're going to wait till next year. It's like, man, if you hired the Miko Ryan's, you know, got people fired up about the Texans. I mean, you got to draft, you got to draft Stroud to me. Anthony Richardson's a trendy name, but to me, you want someone that can start from day one. And to me, Young and Stroud are both guys you can plug in, even though they'll be rookies. All right, so Will Levis, I mean, look, two months ago, I wouldn't have thought Anthony Richardson would be a top four pick, but after the combine, if you, I'm on, everyone's got him going somewhere, either third or fourth, trade up to three, or, or, or the coach just picking him at four or somewhere. I mean, but but do do you see Levis as do you see the top four being quarterbacks or do you or you buy that Levis is quite a bit below those three? I'm thinking Levis goes quite a bit below. I don't see him being in that class because at least with Richardson, even though his college film wasn't all that great, he's got that freakish athleticism. Where Levis, I mean, he's got the big arm, but outside of that, just doesn't really offer a whole lot. So I think I think he'll still be a first rounder though, because his arm, I mean he's got a cannon. He you could make a case that he's got the best just pure arm talent in the class. So I think Levis ends up somewhere in the middle of the first. Maybe he still goes top ten, but I'm starting to think not. 
I don't see teams moving up for him. I think a team like the Commanders in the middle of the first will just kind of let him fall in their lap. But, yeah, Anthony Richardson, I think he'd be a good fit for the Colts. I think the Colts either get him at four or they might just move up one spot to make sure they get him at three because their new head coach, Shane Steichen, helped develop Jalen Hurts. He's a mobile QB, and so I think he might kind of bring in Richardson and try to take a similar approach with him. It's it's going to be fascinating. The teams that could really benefit from this whole quarterback thing is, um, you know, Seahawks, Lions, Raiders, Falcons. Like the the best players in the draft are probably Jalen Carter and Will Anderson and and Tyree Wilson, and those guys could all go, you know, five, six, seven range. Right. Yeah, I'm thinking Will Anderson goes three. I don't I don't see the Cardinals moving. There's been all the speculation about them moving. I mean, they really need defense, uh, defensive help, especially on the edge. And to me, Will Anderson, best edge rusher, you got to take him there at three. So I don't see the Cardinals moving down. I'm not buying that. The Seahawks, I think, could also go edge at five. You know, Tyree Wilson probably would be the candidate there. And then Jalen Carter's interesting, though, because he's still got the, the legal situation surrounding him. But it sounds like he's still going to go top ten. And the Raiders at seven would probably make sense, considering their history of not really being too concerned about character issues. They, have, and they, they actually had a report that they had crossed him off their board, but in the day it came out that they're meeting with him. So I would think the furthest corner would fall would be seven because he was supposed to go top five, but he'll probably slip a little. All right. So getting to the Saints, do you well, – right now, before we get to actual names, because we're, we're coming up to our, our, our first uh, – uh, needed to take a time out here. But before we get to some actual names, what would you consider right now one, two, three for needs? Uh, I would say the top need would be interior defensive line. You know, it's losing Tuttle and Anya Mata. It didn't really – bring in any proven starters, the guys he brought in, Saunders and Shepard. Could be pretty good rotational pieces, but you still need a, a guy that can play pretty much every down. So to me, that's the biggest need. And then also guard, I see as a need because, I mean, Cesar Ruiz hasn't really developed as well as we are hoping, and Andres Pete's getting up in age. And then as far as the third need, oh, man, I guess either running back or wide receiver. Probably wide receiver. You know, the running back brought in Jamal Williams, wide receiver. No, brought back Michael Thomas, but still could use another wide out or two. Well, it's going to be very interesting to um, to see what the Saints think of, of of how they've plugged in free agency and what they need on. And, and I've been flip flopping on this ever since. On Thursday, I think it was. Joey threw a monkey wrench to my little mind by bringing up the name Brian Branch. And I've been kind of, you know, again, I love safeties. I love tight ends. Uh, I think they're the most undervalued. I think they're more valued now than they used to be. For years, they were the two most undervalued positions in in the sport. And I don't love that Brian Branch is not big, but they all talk about how he's just told just a brilliant you know, football mind as a player, and he can—he's a short tackler, and he's got great instincts. And when you look at May, who's been a huge question mark, 
Uh, and he might be suspended. And you know he played better late, but didn't do much early. And then you look at Honey Badger, who's at times played okay down the stretch, but certainly wasn't a major impact player. I think safety is an underrated need for this team. And if Brian Branch is really that good, what do you think of the possibility of drafting him? That's a good point. I'm I'm actually with Joey on that because yeah, looking at the depth chart here, it's it's more of a need than I was thinking. You know, behind May and, and Honey Badger, you don't have much there. I mean, JT Gray is what he is. Jonathan Abram, a free agent, might be pretty good, but not a long term solution. So yeah, definitely need to get younger at that position. And never really replace the CJ GJ. You know, he's never really don't really have a good nickel presence right now. And I feel like Brian Branch being a pretty complete safety would fill that spot. I just don't know if he'll be available, though. As of now, I got him mocked to the Bengals at 28, one pick before the Saints at 29. So if he falls, definitely worth considering. But considering he's the head and shoulders top safety, I I don't know if he'll be there. Well, you know, I've seen quite a few people have him going to the commanders at 16. Now, I don't know if they're going to pick him because I, I kind of think they're going to pick a cornerback. But, I you know, a lot of people think that he's going to go there. If he doesn't go there, though, I think he's got a chance to fall into the 20s. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, just some of these teams, you know, in the 20s, they're kind of safety needy, especially the Bengals because they lost both their starting safeties from last year, Jesse Faith and Von Bell. They could also use a tight end, though, so they might go with, like, Dalton Kincaid or Michael Mayer falls. They might – Cool with that, you know, after they lost Hayden Hurst. But uh, Brian Branch would be a good fit for them. And if they pass on him, well, yeah, the Saints would would definitely consider him if, if all the defensive linemen they have on their board are gone. Because the edge rush is also a thing they could use, too, after losing Davenport. Because outside of Cam Jordan and Carl Granderson, they're kind of lacking as in pass rush depth. All right, I don't have time to get into that, but what what we'll do is we'll take a timeout. When we come back, I want to get into part of what you just said and a few other things having to do with the Saints. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Kevin Foote is a walking, talking encyclopedia of New Orleans Saints history. No, seriously. After that is 2013, which I call the Forgotten Saints season because in so many people's mind, the Saints' streak of good football ended with the Bounty Gate season. And it's not just recent history either. In 88, they finished 10-6, and six, tied for first place in the division, did not make the playoff because they got cheated by a blind official named Fred Silver who absolutely cheated, uh, stole a game on Sunday night in a 13-12 loss to the Giants with his either blindness and ineptness or cheating or whatever you want to call it. I think he was just blind and senile. We return to the man who's forgotten more Saints history than you will ever know. Kevin Foote. And footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We've been visiting with the guru, talking a little NFL draft. Two weeks from tomorrow, the NFL draft begins, and it's going to be a long night in that 
you know, the Saints, unless they trade up, which happens quite often, uh, pick 29. So it's going to be uh, a challenge to just sit there and watch everything. And I can remember, what was that, two years ago, three years ago, everything was playing out perfectly. And I decided I wanted Murray, the linebacker, and then right before the Saints, the Chargers trade up and and, and pick him. So hopefully something like that doesn't happen. But I want to get back to what you said. And look, you said it. People all over the country are saying it. But I I just think it it needs a little context. The Saints... I, I don't know that it's fair to say the Saints lost Davenport. And look, I supported Davenport the whole time he was here. Kept waiting for him to reach his potential. Can you lose, can you quote unquote, lose a, an edge rusher who had a half a sack in an entire NFL season? Yeah, I get your point. I mean, they may not have even been interested in, in re-signing him, but it, the bottom line is that even though he wasn't getting sacks, he was somebody that was getting snaps at the edge rush position and was depth to where now that he's gone, he didn't really replace that. So it's like, who's going to get those snaps to where, you know, bringing in a rookie, so if you draft a rookie high there, like Miles Murphy from Clemson, if he would fall, then, I mean, he could – get those snaps and then hopefully be an upgrade over what Davenport offered because yeah he was bad last year man Miles Murphy is is one of there there's there's like two or three maybe even a few more than that fascinating guys if you study all these mock drafts I've seen Miles Murphy as high as eight and I've seen him as low as like 29 or 30 like he's all over the place in these mock drafts Right, yeah, it seems like he's been trending down lately, though, because for a while it was he was up there with with uh, Tyree Wilson, Will Anderson, and Nolan Smith, but lately it's been Lucas Van Ness from Iowa that's up there in that top ten. It seems like a lot of teams in the top ten need edge help, and then in the teens and 20s, not so much to where it's like if you don't if you're not one of those top four edge rushers taken, you could tumble down the board. And as of now, it's looking like Murphy might be the guy to see his stock slip. All right. So you brought up the next point. Do you buy this idea that the Saints, by adding the defensive line coach, Grantham, do you buy that they're changing their long time, which, again, this has been going on even before Casper got here. Uh, the, the Saints have always had Cam Jordan-type big physical run-stopping defensive ends on the edge. They've never really had like that smaller speed rusher coming off the edge. They've always believed in, you know, big Darren Howard, Cam Jordan, Charles Grant-type defensive ends edge rushers. Do you buy that that's changed to where, and look, I don't believe Nolan Smith's going to be there, but theoretically, if he's close that they would they would target someone like him. Yeah, I think it's possible, especially considering Caden Ellis left too, and he piled up a good amount of sacks last year as a guy that he wasn't really an edge rusher per se, but he was a guy that was, you know, not a defensive end that was, was getting a good amount of sacks. So it's like, yeah, he lost him, he lost Davenport. So I could see him bringing in a guy that's not as big but is a pass rush specialist. Yeah, I could definitely see that. So if Nolan Smith goes in the top 10 or 12, which, you know, like you said, the more you're starting to see that more often. Um, 
right now, if you had to give your three best guesses on what you think the Saints would do, who would your top three be? Oh, as far as like the individuals on who they'll draft. Yeah, three best guest players that you think if they were drafting today that you think they would pick. Okay, okay, yeah. Let me think who would fall. I would see the the other Clemson guy, a defensive tackle, uh, Brian Bressy. If he would fall, could uh, could could be a good fit. You know, he's one of the. There's not a as many defensive tackles as there are edge rushers, but I'm thinking he could be a a good fit there. And then I don't think Nolan Smith's gonna fall. I'm gonna leave him off. I'll go with Murphy as number two. And then, like I said earlier, guard, I feel like the need. So I'll throw in the, the former Raging Cajun, Osiris Torrance. You know, if he would happen to fall, I think it would be a, a good fit there at pick 29. Because I just – I don't like what I'm seeing from Andres feet the way he's been injured so much the past few years. And then with Ruiz still yet to show that he's – I mean, he's been not a bust, but he's just not been as good as they were hoping as a top pick. So I'm thinking if Torrance would fall, he could be a fit too. What about Adi Tamawa Adabare? Shoot, I'm uh, not too familiar with him. I believe he's um, yeah, he's yeah, a defensive lineman him, from he, Northwestern. I've and, heard the name. I've heard the name. Yeah. Oh man, it's a name. I've been practicing. I, I, I look because look, <laughs> right, if the Saints draft <laughs> this guy, we got to figure out how to pronounce his name. And I, I think yeah, I, he's an edge guy. He's the guy from Northwestern. That's Yeah, he's from Northwestern. He is 280-some pounds and runs a 4-4. Wow, so he's a physical freak. Yeah, well, then he'll probably be trending up. You know, a lot of times in April, he's a guy, you know, guys that are kind of under the radar during the pre-draft process. And then as it gets closer to the draft, guys like him tend to, tend to zoom up board. So, yeah, I could uh, I could see him if he's got that good of party time and that good of physical skills. Then, yeah, I could definitely – see him climbing up board you know the other thing that you have to consider with the saints is they they've all they, of late now they haven't looked they they picked a guy from northern iowa last year so they they don't always do this but they tend they they tend to pick um from some pretty big schools and obviously clemson's a major program you know, I, I obviously Brzee and Murphy have been names that we've mentioned, but I hadn't really considered them. And I was thinking while you were were saying those, because early on in the mock draft process, Murphy was, you know, kind of too high for that. So if we buy that Murphy is is kind of an option, um, do, do you give Clemson? an edge over some of these other options that aren't like major programs like Clemson. Yeah, I think so because I mean they've got a good reputation of producing NFL talent. So uh so yeah, I would think uh, that they'd maybe give them an edge, you know, Dabo Sweeney, the guy that's developed a lot of, you know, NFL stars. So you think more on offense though, you know, you think like Trevor Lawrence, DeAndre Hopkins Sammy Watkins, Travis Etienne, more offensive guys that stand out. But they've also got some good defenses. They've had good defenses over the years, especially last year. Clemson's offense took a step back, but they were still successful because of their defense. And a lot of those talented players are now in the draft. Another one to look out for who's going late in the first is the linebacker from Clemson, Trenton Simpson. He's a guy that'd be more of a tackler, but 
the Saints could maybe use another tackling linebacker with Cade Nellis going and Demario Davis getting up in age. All right, one more thing. Uh, is there a position that you didn't really say or a player that you didn't really say because you don't think it was it's enough of a need that you you will secretly be pulling for the Saints to pick? Like, who's your candy or guilty pleasure uh, choice for the Saints to pick if that person would drop? Hmm, yeah, definitely be a skilled player. And I'll, uh, you know what, I'll go with a tight end. I'll go with Dalton Kincaid out of Utah. I really liked what I've seen from him. I was watching his his highlights the other day, and he was man, he was really talented. I mean, he can make people miss and stuff. He's a big guy, but you know, ain't making dudes miss. Kind of like the way like Kelsey and Kittle do, getting those yards after the catch. And he's got the frame to be a red zone guy. I doubt the Saints will go that route as they brought back Jawan Johnson. But with the, with Troutman not really looking the part, maybe they do it. I mean, it would be, I feel like, kind of a guilty pleasure pick. And then you've got, like, you know, you have bigger needs, in my opinion. But if they view him as the best player available and he's still there, I mean, a lot of mocks have him getting picked already. I mean, I've got him going to Detroit as a Hawkinson replacement. But if he would fall to the Saints at 29, I'd be all for it. What about Bajon Robinson? Oh, yeah, if he's there to me, you should – I wouldn't even view that as a reach. To me, that'd be actually a smart pick considering how how head and shoulders he is above the rest of the running back class. But I, I don't see him falling past the Cowboys. To me, if he's there at the Cowboys pick 26, Jerry Jones isn't going to let Dijon slip past him. I, I'd be surprised if he got past the Chargers. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how, how how that plays out. All right, look, it's two weeks from tomorrow – I um, you got me thinking more about Clemson guys now. I, I, you know, obviously those guys have been on the radar, but not really at the top of my, I think is could happen list. So I'm gonna have to ponder that a little bit more. Maybe a little fo- more focus on the Clemson guys. We'll see how that pans out. I uh, appreciate your time as always, sir. Thank you very much. Yeah, for sure, Kevin. Thank you. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us UL softball coach Jerry Glasgow. Are you hanging in there, coach? Yeah, yeah, hanging in. That's a tough loss last night. Anytime you, you know, have a loss, it, it, it's hard on me, uh, hard on everybody. Nobody likes to lose. So uh, that's part of the game, you know, when you play, especially play good teams and tip your hat to Baylor. I mean, the pitcher's red hot. There's a reason she beat Oklahoma. There's a reason she beat Tennessee one nothing. I I saw Tennessee beat Virginia Tech eleven to nothing last night. Virginia Tech's a top twenty team, and and this pitcher shut them out one to nothing. You know when I watch her, I think we should hit her. I, I, as a coach, I expect we hit her, and I'm disappointed offensively last night. But I guess you know also at the same time I, I'm reluctant to tip my hat to her as much as I should. She pitched a good game. It looked like she was on the outside corner and controlled the corner, made it really hard on our lefties. When we got to hit the drop ball, she started throwing the rise ball. 
so she could go north and south, you know, and uh, they just they just beat us. And we were right there in the game, two to one. We had, you know, second we had runners, two runners on with Carly Heat up, and she's been so clutch for us all year. And we just didn't get the hit last night. Yeah. Um, Lenny Crater had a really good home run, but we didn't have any on base when we got that home run. If we could have got that. You know, we had the first, and then we had her up with with Maya Davis on, and it could have been a two-run homer. But those are all the ifs, would have, could have, should have. And at the end of the day, we I thought our pitching staff was outstanding last night. I thought they had each other's back. You know, we went through the lineup. I thought uh, made really timely moves, um, and we we didn't overwork any of our pitchers, which is important right now when you're in the middle of these conference series. And then we got the big game tonight with A and M. Uh, so I thought that was good. I thought uh, Vic Valdez continued to really look good behind the plate defensively. She made a heck of a throw to second base uh, and had that runner out if we could have held on the ball. Um, so I thought we had some really good things last night. We just didn't get the win. All right, so getting back before we get to a few other things, the pitcher, like how would you compare her to some of the other two or three best pitchers y'all faced earlier this season? Yeah, you know, I think that's one of the things that that helped her last night and hurt us last night when we got ready for south out was rise ball and flat pitch, you know, the curve rise, curve rise, and we're working on getting on top half of the ball, top half of the ball, and then you go to Baylor, and she's got a 68-mile-an-hour drop ball. That's a really elite-level down ball. And I think that it took us a little longer to adjust to that than, than we, we, you know, just the contrast was perfect set up for her and uh you know that's that's just part of it when you go from elite level pitching lackey's an elite level pitcher if she was at baylor she would be a nationally known pitcher no doubt about it she's that good but it's uh, and we had three or four days to work on getting on top of the rise ball and getting 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 our barrels behind uh the spin that lackey has and then when we come here, it was totally opposite spin, and and it, and we didn't make as quick of adjustment. Russell didn't have as much time to practice, you know. You, you, but that's that's the nature of sport, you know. And 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 likewise, Baylor played this weekend, and they didn't have time to get ready. I'm sure for our pitchers, like they wanted to, and, but they were able to come out of it with a two to one win. So she was she was really a quality pitcher, um, but so were South Alabama's pitchers. So it just. It just uh, didn't go our way. All right. Um, you mentioned the pitching. Uh, do you ex- anticipate kind of a similar type deal where you're going to use three or four girls and, and get them out when they, and, and just kind of uh, a similar type approach in College Station tonight? Yeah, I talked to Coach Justin about it. I, I think we would like to get Carly Heath back in the circle. She's due to get some action, and you know, she's not been able to pitch since she had that uh, leg injury. And uh, we want to get her back in and get her involved before we get to the Texas State game. So I think at some point, and I don't think you'll want her to try to go, you know, a full game. I, I don't think she's ready for that probably, but definitely want to get her out there. And I, I, I know that we'll at least discuss whether or not we want to start her. And then – I like the I like what we're doing. Let the pitchers all get a couple innings work, and and then you know when they're when they're as long as they're cruising, let them let them go. And if they struggle with their control or struggle with their the spin or anything, just don't feel comfortable. Then let's let's pass it on down to the next one, and we'll get them back out there as quick as we can. And it's worked well. 
when we've needed it to. And then, of course, the biggest thing, we want to be fresh and, and ready for Texas State because there's so much on the line as far as confidence implications. All right. The other thing that I wonder is kind of an – you know, your lineup is a lot more stable now than it was early. And I just wonder if one of the unintended uh, consequences is last night y'all had two on and no out and you're not able to execute the short game. Now, you, y'all you do a great job of running the bases and aggressive there. How confident are you right now? Or is that something y'all really need to work on before you get to postseason play? The ability to execute the short game when you need it. Yeah, you know, we, we added a bunting group uh, about three weeks ago, and they've been, Coach Lacey has been working with four kids uh, on the bunt for, you know, an hour a day. And that's, that's she's put a lot of effort into that. So I feel like we should be good at it. I feel like we should be prepared at it. Uh, we just, it, it, for whatever reason, we didn't get the bunt down when we needed it. And, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, we've had, uh, you know, we've had, uh, Kramer and uh, Maddie and and Kayla and Maya all working on that short game over and over and over. So why we don't get it down, I don't know. It just it didn't go down. Maybe she made a good pitch, but that was a big turning point in the game. If we could have moved those kids to second, third, and had the leadoff hitter up with second, third, one out, I like where we would have been at that point. But it didn't go our way, and uh, uh, we definitely – need to work on the short game as well as every other aspect of our game as we go down the stretch. All but, right, uh, so the, who do you anticipate pitching and what, and what do you see or foresee with the kind of pitchers you could face tonight? Uh, I think that they've got four pitchers and they kind of go by committee and they, they kind of run them in and out the same way. I would think we have a very good chance we'll see Levitt, uh, the transfer to come in from, uh, from uh, Minnesota. They also could go with Kennedy, who's a left left those in that sixty six, sixty eight range. Uh, right handed pitcher. Kennedy's a so seventy one to seventy four, really hard throwing lefty. Um, and can and really can create matchup problems if if with her velocity at times. And then they've also got Ackerman, who's a sixty seven, sixty nine drop ball, rise ball pitcher. She can go up and down. They they could throw her. I mean they're wide open, they could throw if you watch them play, they they're a little bit unpredictable, and they mean to be. And so I think that they're really a team you just kind of have to wait and see who they put out there, and then make as quick a mental adjustments as you can once you find out who you're going to get. Are but they? I, a, I don't have a definite answer on who they will play uh, throw. Are they more of a home run hitting team than Baylor was, or or, or how would you kind of label them offensively? Yeah, they've got they've got a little more power than than Baylor. Uh, they've also got speed. Uh, they they they've got they can go fast. They can play fast, but they're known for power hitting. Jeff Harger is a very good hitting coach. He's known for hitting the, the long ball. They've got two really hot, dangerous hitters right now in Cottrell uh, and um, the third baseman. They 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 are Cannon Trinity Cannon. Those two kids both have a lot of power and they're hot. So you gotta you've got to keep the little the lefties off base. We've got several speed kids, and you got to keep them off base. And then hopefully, you know, if they do get the home run, you want it to be a solo home run. How critical is it? I know you're always looking at now, but also looking at the end of the season um, from the game one to now. Like, how critical is it to win tonight? Yeah, you know, it's 
the, the two games together were critical. Like we had to win Baylor and Texas A&M in order to host the regional and also hopefully get that seed up there at 10, 11, 12. You know, I don't know that hosting a regional if you're number 16 is a good thing because that means you're going to go to, even if you win the regional, you're going to Oklahoma uh, for the for the super regional. So you can debate that that's a great thing or a bad thing. or or. But I do know this, that like, these two games were huge games and huge importance, and that's why the loss last night really is a stickler. It really um, burns. And then the A&M game by itself would definitely – I mean, our RPI, I think I looked this morning, it was still 11. We went from 10 to 11. But but we need that top 25 win. And we, we've got a couple of them over uh, Florida and LSU, but we need another one, and we need one late in the season. So that this, this game gives us the opportunity to get that. And then, you know, it's also important that we finish out strong down the stretch of our season. So at this point, you know, the schedule was set up to give us a chance to host not only a regional, uh, a super regional. And if you go back to Florida when you lose eight to uh, seven to six to Arkansas and you lose four to three to UCLA or five to four, whatever it was, uh, you lose those games by one run, you lose to Michigan seven to six. And then you lose last night two to one. You got a bunch of one run losses that are going to keep you from actually hosting not only a regional but a super regional if you could have won all those. And so at this point in the season, you just kind of got to we just got to get in a place where we can play well at the end of postseason. And and I was we'd won seven in a row. I thought we were getting into that you know that mode where we're getting clutch hits. And we had a combination out there winning and. And last night we went away a little bit from that, and we didn't get the win, and we didn't get the clutch yet. So we've got to find ourselves back into that, you know, really just getting wins before we get into postseason. As we go down the stretch, I think there's like 14 more games left. And that's just going to be the priority, just try to get back in a good place mentally. All right, sir, we appreciate your time as always. Good luck to you all tonight. All right, thank you. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Why doesn't Kevin Foote talk more basketball? Because it's in the best interest for his health not to discuss basketball. I had to give up basketball to save my life. I cannot take basketball. It's way too subjective. More footnotes coming up on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Just got a few minutes left. If you would like to get in, could get in on the game hotline 706-0111-706-0111. If you would like to get in, Coach Glasgow just said something that I've been saying. I, You know, obviously you want to win every game and you certainly want to win tonight, but I – I'm still of the mindset that I would rather travel as a high number two seed than host as a 14, 15, or 16 seed. You know, again, that's an it's a legitimate you can make a legitimate argument either way, but I'm on the think big side when it comes to this program. Always have been. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, sir. 
Well, Kevin, there's, there's a lot of reasons to love uh, Coach Gasco. I mean, he's from Sicilia. That's one thing. That's probably the biggest thing. And the second thing, Kevin, man, he is so brutally honest. Oh. How many coaches have you interviewed in your time that is brutally honest as he is? Like I said, the only one I could – Larry Dotrieve is the only other one that comes to mind. I mean, he is just – yeah, he is incredible. I mean, he's he's too honest sometimes, to be fair. I think but, he is. But, yeah. I mean, you know, so many times he says these things. It's like, man, I don't know if he should be saying this. I mean, I, I know these other coaches don't listen or you know, other things that are fine or even his players. I mean, he just says what's on his mind. It's coming out. You like it or not. Uh, no, I, I, you, 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 you are correct. So where do you stand? Would you rather host as a 14, 15, or 16, or would you rather travel as a 17, 18, or 19? I think it, I think this program needs to host. And they need to host and win a regional. That, I think that's a step that needs to be taken and take your chances playing one of these teams, Kevin. I think that's important. I know the fan base is solid, but I think this is something, a step it needs to take right now. And this team is young enough to where I think in a couple of years, if that's going to improve, we're going to, be, we're going to get better standing with our RPI. You know, the, the young team part of it is an interesting thing. Like, it, it would be part of the growth process. Um, I, 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 I get that argument, but I don't I, – I still think that this team is good enough to win a regional. And now, again, I get that Baton Rouge, people are tired of going to Baton Rouge. But look, last year they didn't go to Baton Rouge. They went to Clemson. And, they, you know, so. And, they, and they've and they been to Oxford, you know, since Coach Glasgow was, was there. Man, it was hot. That was just miserable. Another. Another Power 5 facility I went to, just awful. Like, you're better off going play at Youngsville. You know, it's just awful. But anyway, go ahead. But, you know, Kevin, I was watching that uh, uh, Oklahoma-LSU game last night, and they were showing the RPI, and that color analyst on there was saying that we were 10th, and she was saying how the committee goes strictly by the RPI, and if we had a 10th or 11th, Kevin, I mean, if they do that, what they always tend to do and go strictly by the RPI, we might still have a 12 or 13 uh, or even a 11. Well, uh, I mean, they go eight. strictly by the RPI as long as it suits their Power right. 5 bias. I mean, there if it go. doesn't that's suit right. their Power 5 bias, then they don't go strictly by the RPI. That That's basically how, essentially how it goes. But, but I still, and I was telling Dawson off the air in the break, I still think that if they win tonight and finish strong and their RPI is eight or nine, they got a, they got a reasonable chance to get at least a 12 or a 13. Right. And the case, uh, this program has way more, you know, tradition than like when Minnesota did it like four or five years ago, they were like a, a team out of nowhere. So right. I think that makes a difference too. Have a good one. Thank you. Um, we'll see. I mean, right now, I say just try to win tonight and take your chances. And and, and look, Texas State has beaten good teams. So can Texas State beat the Cajuns this weekend? Of course they can. I, I still think that the softball team is playing as well as it has that I, I you know, I, 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 I didn't – I wasn't ready to say they were going to sweep. I think it was possible they could have swept. Um, you know, Coach, the other thing about last night's game that was huge is, and, and, and Coach Glasgow just brought it up, 
They should have had a caught stealing, and that girl scored the run, a run. I mean, you know, they just didn't weren't able to hang on to the ball, which is going to happen on bang bang plays sometimes. You know, again, it's it's what's so frustrating and deceiving sometimes about making generalizations off of a result like, well, you know, oh, well, here they go. They played a good team again and they lost. I mean, yeah, you have to make the plays. But, I mean, one of the girls that scored one of their two runs was a girl who was thrown out and the ball just didn't get hung on to. I mean, if it gets hung on to, they're out and they don't score the run. Uh, but but again, you got to make those plays. You got to get. You got to be able to play the short game. I, I, that's the first time I had heard that they've been putting extra emphasis on the bunt. And so, as a coach, sometimes you're like, you put extra emphasis, and it still doesn't happen. Like, what do you do? You just gotta. You gotta execute. And yeah. So- and, but the RPI, I wish they went strictly on RPI. They don't. Now I, these results. 2019 was the first one that I pulled up. Um, now this, I think these results include postseason games, which is weird because I don't even know they don't count RPI after the regular season. But anyway, James Madison finished 11th, still got sent to Ann Arbor as a two seed and won that regional. But I, they don't go strict by the RPI, although I wish they would. Although I don't know, I don't know if I wish they would or not. But yeah, when it's not a Power Five team, it, it, they, you get a it's penalty. all creative accounting. Uh, it's right, all, and we've especially all of it seen is that creative with accounting. Teams all of a sudden going from they're ranked 14 or 15, but they really like them, and all of a sudden they're an eight that they're a double host. We've seen that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. All right, time is up. Y'all have a nice day.